you got to reframe your thinking around this. It's not about what you're cutting back on. It's what you're allocating more toward. So instead of being like, okay, what do I have to cut this month? What do I get to put more towards? Not, okay, I, I, I can't spend as much on restaurants, can't spend as much on clothing. What can I do? Oh, look, I get to pay $300 more on my credit card, and that means I'm that much closer to being debt-free. I get to put $200 more towards saving for that vacation next year, and I'm really looking forward to that trip. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. Hey guys, Nate Skelly here. Welcome back to the Financial Pathway Podcast. So uh, today's going to be a little bit of a quasi-book review. I recently read Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know it's been out for a while, and I'm sure some of you have read it. It's a New York Times bestselling book. I'm sure if you haven't read it, you probably heard of it by now. And um, it was an excellent read, and I just it really got me thinking. There's so many things that he talks about in the book that relate to finances. It's not a finance book per se. It's just about habits in general, but so much of what he talks about could be really helpful to your financial life. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. And I'll, I'll highlight some of my biggest takeaways from the book. Obviously, there's so much more, and I would really encourage you to get the book. I think it'll be really helpful for you if you haven't read it. Or maybe you did read it a while back, and you just need to come back and revisit it. But one of the first things right off the gate that got my attention is he talked about this idea of getting 1% better. Like big gains are usually the result of many, many small improvements. And he used the example of the British cycling team, how they used to be like the laughing stock of the cycling community. And they just, they just got this mantra, let's just get 1% better. 1% better with how we build our bikes, how we the, the equipment that we use, our training, our sleep, our diet, just get 1% better. better. One, make small improvements. And pretty soon, they just took off and became super successful. And it was really a compounding effect. And so just like in investing, compound interest is massively powerful, but it takes a while to really see those those exponential gains. Same with our habits. They start small, they start incremental, but they build. And that hence the topic, or hence the title, Atomic Habits. And one of the things he talks about with, with, with habits, whether it's building good habits or breaking bad habits, is that people usually go about it all wrong. They set themselves up for failure. They want to lose weight, they want to stop smoking, cut back on screen time, eat healthier, what have you. And they go about it all wrong. They try to make these drastic changes just overnight, but then they eventually lose willpower and they slip right back in their old habits. And then they just, in their minds, they're like, I, I just can't beat it. I can't kick the habit. Um, so part of what he, he explains is if you're going to break a bad habit, you've got to replace it with a good habit because our mind is wired to want to return to habits. We're not always even conscious of the decisions and actions we're doing because that's just human psychology. And so if you don't replace bad habits with good habits, you're much more likely to slip back into those bad habits. So here's the basic framework. Here's where James Clear spends most of the time in the book. He talks about how our habits are the result of a four-step process. And here are the four steps. Number one is a cue. This is a trigger. This is we're in a certain environment, a certain uh, action, a, a certain, like something happens that 
is a cue and a signal to prompt our, our habit. Secondly, there's a craving. There's a, a desire for the habit. And then third, there's a response. So we respond to that craving and we act. And then fourthly, there's a reward for that action. So for instance, um, there's a famous experiment with Pavlov's dog. I'm sure you've heard of it. He conditioned his dogs to salivate when he rang a bell. And the way he did that is he would ring a bell and then he would give his dog food. And he just did this over and over and over and over again, day after day after day, so that the dog started to learn to associate the sound of the bell with him getting fed. And so pretty soon, all he had to do was ring a bell, and the dog would start to salivate. Okay? And in a very crude way, that's how our brains work too. So um, to give you an example, my wife doesn't like to watch baseball. If I ever turn on a baseball game, which I don't usually do because... As I get older, I used to love baseball. Baseball used to be my favorite. The older I get, the harder I find it is to watch a baseball game. But what you'll notice is the baseball players spit constantly. And it probably goes back to how, like, baseball players, a lot of them would use mouth tobacco, and so they're spitting all the time. And so spitting just became associated with playing baseball, I'm guessing. But it's true. Whether guys have mouth tobacco or not, they're constantly spitting. And so there's a cue there. You get on a baseball field, you're sitting in the dugout, that's the cue. Hey, we're playing baseball. So then the craving comes, I should spit. And then the response, so I do spit. And the reward is, I guess, that you feel better, like <laughs> you've been able to uh, spit your saliva out, but it just becomes an ongoing habit. The reward doesn't even have to be that big. It doesn't even have to be that, like, that, that much of a thing that we even notice in our mind but now we're hardwired. Now we're in that rut mentally. Same thing with word fillers, like saying um or like. The cue is you're put on the spot. You have to speak publicly. People are listening to you. And so you're aware of that, and now you feel nervous. You feel self-conscious about hearing your own voice. So here comes the craving. The craving is I want to fill in that dead space. I don't want there to be an awkward silence. So the response is that I will say, um, I will say like, I will use these words as filler words so that I can avoid that awkward silence. And the reward is that I don't have to feel as much awkwardness as I'm talking because I, I keep on saying words. You can throw in a lot of different things in here as far as bad habits, lots of different bad habits. The cue, then comes the craving, you respond, you do that action. And then there's some kind of reward that comes from that. And because of that reward, it keeps you coming back. And you go through that same cycle over again. And all that has to happen is that cue has to enter in, and then boom, there you are on that habit train again. So the, the framework cuts both ways. So you can use that same framework to either extinguish an old habit or to build a new one. And so if you want to break a bad habit, then you have to go about it this way. And this is what James Clear talks about in the book. You have to make it invisible. You have to hide those cues. You have to make it to where those cues don't pop up in your life. If you're wasting a lot of time on your phone, you put your phone in another room. You turn it off so that it's not constantly there and triggering you to want to go back to it. You have to make it unattractive. That craving, when it comes, try to, as best you can, make it unattractive. So instead of thinking of picking up your phone and checking it as a reward or as, as like a welcome distraction, think of it as an obstacle. It's keeping me from being productive. It's keeping me from more important things. Make it difficult. 
don't make it an easy thing to slip back into. So, you know, you, maybe you delete certain apps off your phone. You put them in a folder and put them in the back of the phone. They're not easy to get to. They're not on your home screen. Maybe you set time limits on it. And then you have to make it unsatisfying. That reward has to not be satisfying like it used to be. And so it's not, um, oh, yeah, I, I, I get to scroll Facebook. It's, oh, I, I wasted how many minutes? And, 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 you know, especially with um, your smartphones or iPhones that gives you a, a screen time report each week, that's, uh, that, that's something that you can use to say, okay, this is how much time I wasted this week is what that report is. And so um, breaking an old habit, you have to go about it in that order. Make it invisible. Make it difficult. Make it unattractive. Try to eliminate it by breaking that rhythm. But then you have to introduce the new habit using that same framework. So a new habit, instead of being invisible, it has to be obvious. So you want to start playing guitar. Okay, put the guitar in a, in a, a place in your house where you're going to see it. Put it in the living room. You want to read your Bible each morning. Put it on your dresser. Put it on the kitchen counter. You make it, and then, So you make it obvious. Then secondly, you have to make it attractive. You have to build a positive craving for that habit. So maybe you start learning one of your favorite songs, your favorite melodies. You, instead of thinking of reading your Bible as, okay, I need to read three chapters this morning to keep up with my Bible reading plan. No, I need to identify one thought, one principle today that's going to help me, right? So, so you reframe your thinking around it. Make it easy. Uh... Make it something that is not a, a big barrier or obstacle to do. So you say, I'm going to do this for five minutes a day. Even though you know that that's not sustainable long-term, playing a guitar five minutes a day, reading your Bible for five minutes a day, it's not enough, but it's somewhere to start. And it's a lot easier to build a good habit at that level than it is to say, well, I'm going to do this for 60 minutes a day. Because if you if you make it too difficult, if you make it too daunting, it's going to be hard to build that good habit, all right? And then make it satisfying. Build it, 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 uh, build it in so that when you do those things, you have a reward system in place, that there's something that you're going to be able to do, uh, something you're going to be able to enjoy when you, when you actually perform that habit. And so that keeps you coming Back to it. So, a lot of different habits we can talk about, good or bad. Let's very quickly now, let's talk about financial habits now. Okay, so now that we understand the framework, cue, craving, response, reward, let's think about financial habits. What are like the most difficult financial habits that people have, uh, or difficult habits to build in your life? Probably the biggest one is tracking your spending, budgeting your money. I talk to people all the time, very difficult. Yeah, we tried budgeting. We do kind of budget sometimes, not very faithful with it. That's a big one. Saving consistently, that's another one. People say, I'm trying to save for the future. I'm trying to save for, for short-term expenses, trying to save for retirement. I just feel like it's just I don't really have the money right now. It's, it's hard. Things are tight right now. Maybe it's managing debt, paying down debt, feeling like you're trying to get credit cards paid off or car loans or student loans. So, of these financial habits, let's just go to the top two. Let's talk about tracking your spending. Let's talk about saving consistently. How can we use the Atomic Habits framework to positively impact and build good habits? 
All right, well, so when it comes to tracking your spending, let's say you, you don't have a good budgeting habit, what can you do? Well, first of all, make it obvious. Maybe you're gonna use uh, a program on your computer or website, make it a bookmark. Make it the default page that when you log in, boom, that's the first page that your computer goes to. Make it, uh, if you have it on an app on your phone, put that app on your home screen. You're gonna see it every time you open your phone. If you have like a paper version, put it on your fridge, put it on the mirror in your bathroom, put it somewhere where you're gonna see it very often. Number two, make it attractive. Part of the reason why people don't like to budget or track their, track their spending is because it's such a arduous process. It's such like they feel like they're constantly being bombarded and being beaten over the head like, oh, don't spend money. You got to reframe your thinking around this. It's not about what you're cutting back on. It's what you're allocating more toward. So instead of being like, okay, what do I have to cut this month? What do I get to put more towards? Not, okay, I... I I can't spend as much on restaurants, can't spend as much on clothing. What can I do? Oh, look, I get to pay $300 more on my credit card, and that means I'm that much closer to being debt-free. I get to put $200 more towards saving for that vacation next year, and I'm really looking forward to that trip. I get to give $100 to this missions project, and that feels really good to be a part of something that God's doing in this world and that I can I can give towards that. Like you have to reframe your thinking away from the things that you're not doing towards the things that you are getting to do because of your, your, your tracking, make it easy, make it easy to perform this habit. Uh, a big challenge people get themselves into is they're like, Oh, it just seems like so much work to put in all my transactions. If that's a big barrier to you, then use a service that connects to your accounts and automatically populates your transactions so you don't have to put them all in yourself. Sometimes people wait till the end of the month to look at all their spending and then it takes them an hour and they feel like, ah, you know, an hour. They just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off because it feels like such a big, uh, you know, big investment of their time. Well, do it once a week for 10 minutes, 15 minutes at most. That way it's easy to do. It takes you a few minutes to look at your transactions, track your spending, see where you're, see where you're at, see what things that you maybe need to pull back on or how you're doing. And then make it satisfying. So when you're seeing um, your, your progress, when you're seeing your spending over time, have some way to sort of see how, how it's improved over time. Okay, look, I was spending X in this category. Now I'm spending $400 a month less. I was only saving $100 a month before. Now I've got that up to $500 so that you're seeing the impact it's making. Okay. Oh, let, let's talk uh, about saving consistently. Okay, if you're if you're struggling with saving for the future, use the framework. Make it obvious. All right, what are you saving for? Write it down. Write down those goals. Okay, is it a house? Is it a car? Is it retirement? Is it kids' college? You can set it up. Sometimes even if you in the banking app, sometimes they let you set up your goals in there. There's lots of different. Um, you know, apps on your phone that you can use that, that, that uh, allow you to see your goals in one place, make it attractive. So this is something that I've seen people do. That's a great idea. They're trying to build a good habit for saving, but they also want to spend money from time to time on stuff. So here's the rule. If they splurge on something like shoes or AirPods or fishing gear or whatever, then they will have to match that amount in savings. They spend $200 on something they want, they also have to put $200 into a savings account. Not only does it build a good habit of savings, but it also makes you second guess any purchases when you know it's going to cost you twice because it's 
this for, for that item, and then uh, that same amount has to go into savings. Make it easy. Make it automatic. Set up a contribution. $500 from my checking account to my savings account every month. I'm not going to think about it. It's not even a decision. It's just done. I'm going to put 5% of my paycheck in my 401k, and I'm going to get my match, and it's going to come out of my paycheck. I'm not even going to see it, not even going to think about it. Make it satisfying. So when you start to see those transfers into your savings account, into your 401k, start to think about the actions and the things you'll be able to do in the future because of those decisions. I will be able to buy my own house instead of renting like I am now. I will be able to retire and spend more time with my grandkids than I do right now. And so make it a satisfying process. So whatever the habit is you're trying to build, whether it's financial or something else altogether, great framework for sort of peeling that back, thinking it through, breaking down those bad habits, and implementing those good habits. I definitely recommend you get the book. Um, James Clear shares a lot more wisdom than just that. And, and it would be really helpful to you. And that's what's great about reading good books, by the way, is that it helps you to continue to grow. It sharpens your mind. It continues to push you forward and not get complacent. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.